tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And as we're in the midst of such a change in the world, how do we develop leaders and how can you develop yourself as a creative leader that can create big pivots, big impact, big returns? These are big promises that we're going to talk with our guest today, Esther Weinberg. Esther, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Yes, well, that's a big promise. <laughs> it's, and we're going to talk about big big change because it's happening in the world. Well, Esther is the founder and chief leadership development officer of a great firm called The Ready Zone. And she's fast-tracking organizations' progress and she's fast-tracking executive and leadership progress in companies and organizations of all kinds. Esther, as you think about some of this change we're talking about, what is it that we're facing right now? And what what's on the forefront of your clients' minds? You know, it's interesting. I would say... You know, if you spin back, I, I don't know about you. I feel like everything is either Groundhog Day or it happened so fast. I'm <laughs> not sure. But I would really say, you know, if you think about it, the last two years, there's been this complete upending of our work, our workplaces, our talent pool, um, supply chain, economic pressures, political climate, social issues. And I mean, I'm sure you're experiencing this for yourself. You know, life and work have become more blended. And we're seeing both with folks that would consider themselves creatives because we work a lot with creatives is that, and folks in general is that burnout is at an all time high. And so I would say on executive mind now, you know, cherry pick your issue. You know, there's so many now today, mass combination of talent retention, talent acquisition, supply chain issues, mental well-being, profitability, inflation, succession, workflow, hybrid work, inclusion, team performance, and oh yeah, leading mass and ongoing change and making sure that people feel like they're valued, respected, and they're excited to come mm -hmm. to work. Well, and speaking of Groundhog Day, somewhat it's a Rip Van Winkle kind of thing. <laughs> we woke up and it's been four years since we were quote normal. I mean, here we are 2023, you think back 2019 pre-pandemic, you're like, where did the time go and what happened in the meantime? Again, where did we... I guess, catch up and retune, retool for a whole new kind of world. I still believe we're on the precipice of a reawakening and a reimagining. What I mean by that is what COVID did was, I mean, I don't want to minimize it, especially for folks that have lost people, including myself that lost people during COVID, but it was kind of this grand shakeup that I think that executives needed inside of their organizations, because there was a few things that have occurred. Before COVID was happening, we were seeing mental health issues that I'd never seen before in my life in all the years that we've been working. And so you're seeing mental health issues, stress on executives that had never seen, plus self-imposed stress, not mm -hmm. just organizational stress, self-imposed stress for performance that we'd never seen before. And so now what, if you look at it, you know, yes, there is this lots of organizations either through hybrid work out the window or reimagining work. And I do think we're still in this phase of reimagining that is really vital because workplace, if you think of it, hasn't really changed since Henry Ford designed <laughs> the <laughs> <Right>. assembly line. <laughs> yes. Punch and in so the clock and uh, do, do what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what people are finding, especially 
you know, the, the biggest beef I found when people were saying, why do we have to go back to a physical workplace is that the, the issue was we've made it work. Now, obviously there's a great impact that now we're, we've been seeing on the other side for the last few years of last couple of years of going through this, which is that collaboration can't happen as well to a certain degree if you're in person, especially this will resonate for creatives. If you're going to do creative brainstorming, lots of times uh, it can feel more successful. Your experience can be more successful if you're all in person. And so that is true and not all simultaneously. And so the inflection point of trial and error, which sometimes organizations don't have the patience for and the bandwidth and the willingness for yet, but I think people have had to just because of time, experience, and the pressures for the last couple of years. Yes. Well, so and this reimagining, I'd love to springboard from this word because you know, certainly markets are changing, markets are being disrupted. Uh, I think in your own career and working with places like Netflix, Microsoft, Warner Brothers, Discovery, CNN, I'm reading this great list, Adobe, Disney. I mean, yeah. you've worked at Disney and ESPN in media relations. It's interesting to look at a list like these companies and say, Who's the legacy brand? Who's the disruptor brand? Again, talking about the pace of change and reimagining. All of these companies are saying, what, what's next? Yeah. And I think that what we have found is the number one thing I would say, if you're an executive listening to this, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, the biggest thing that we're finding that is that people want to feel ready to take on all the opportunities and challenges that are at the feet. The question is how? Like, that's great, but every day when I'm drinking out of a fire hose, it doesn't really feel like there's an opportunity for that. And we and what we always say at the Ready Zone is that foundationally, you've got to create workplaces where trust, respect, and psychological safety are not just valued, but they're as measured as the bottom line. And it is possible to measure it, you know? And so we've created what we affectionately call our KPIs for the Ready Zone. We call them zone performance indicators that give folks an opportunity to actually diagnose on an individual executive level, on a team level, on an organizational level, how are we doing it and how are we succeeding? And what are we seeing is the results of this that is making a marked difference in efficiency, productivity, profitability, and creativity, mm -hmm. of course. Well, I want to take a second for our listeners to freeze frame on zone performance indicators for two reasons. One is you're measuring and it's a metric and it's a goalpost. And there's, I mean, it's a legitimate way to measure things. But creatives, this is what I always talk about in terms of branding your tools and your processes. You can call them KPIs and everybody goes, yeah, yeah, KPIs. But Esther's talked about zone performance indicators. There's six of them. They measure things. So think about your own work and say, how could I brand my tools so that they are you know, proprietary to me, they're brandable, they're describable. So I just think this is a technique we all need to be aware of. Well, and I got to tell you, Mark, I, well, I'm glad you said that. You know, it's interesting because even when we are considering what to call the a, a framework, we were really intentional about it being analogous to the way that executives also look at they're the levels of how we're measuring inside of an organization. You know, we're looking at key performance indicators, right? But what we look at KPIs, we get so smart and clever, right? As, as business leaders, you have balance sheets, we have balance sheets, we have uh, measured signposts, we also have, uh, we have profit and loss statements, right? We can go on and on, we have budgets, all very smart tools that we need for the business. 
But the thing that we often don't do is the world of performance is that you take actions that lead to certain results, right? You don't like the results, you change the actions, right? It's very simple. It's a simple formula. It's happened for like God knows how long, right? But the distinction is that we talk about a lot in the ready zone that we actually choose to, to really diagnose and measure is that the only difference is you, the observer that you are, look out and see the world a certain way that deems the actions to take or the actions not to take. And why is it that one person can see action so clearly and to the other person, it's just not available. And so that's what we foundationally start with, because if you don't take issue with the observer and how you see the world, and that's based also on your experiences, your upbringing, your, your heritage, your ethnicity, your value system, your workplace experience, unless you deal with that, you're, you're never going to really be able to shift the results dramatically. Mm-hmm. And permanently, honestly. And it does lead to the bottom line because, you know, what is that old affectionate saying? Things start off as a profit problem, but it's always a people problem. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, and I remember several episodes back, somebody had a book called The People Problem. I'm like, why is it always the people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so complex when it's a people problem. I didn't know I was a problem. <laughs> Well, terrific. Well, you're you're rolling out a new program, Esther, that I wanted to be sure that we spent some time talking about, because I think you found a very impactful place in the corporate org chart to make some of these changes that you're talking about. And it's yeah. not way high and it's not way low. It's, yeah. it's very much in a leadership executive, but a very executional level. Tell us more about this. You know, it's interesting because if you're inside of a matrix hierarchical organization, which you know, 90% plus of organizations are, as you know, the one level I find that doesn't really get a lot of TLC is that executive vice president level, that EVP level. And it's interesting because you're right below a C-suite level, right? So you're, you're given that freedom and autonomy just enough to be dangerous <laughs> but at the same time. And also if you do it right, you also have mentors and people that you could go to in order to say, you know, hey, is this right? What's going on? I need some advice. But what I often find is there's a reason why people say it's lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top because you're, as an EVP, you're having to make decisions that sometimes you can't collaborate and align with other people on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like I had an EVP say to me the other day, he's like, I've had to lay, I had to lay 50 people off. I've never done that in my life. Who has a rule book for that? Right. And so what we've done is created a, an executive think tank for this executive vice president level. And if you think of it, the, the forum of it is problem solving, part information sharing, learning from each other so that you get solved your top of mind issues and challenges that you're going through. Because look, I got to tell you, and, and our focus is on three main areas, leading change, team invigoration and performance, and influence and competitive advantage. Because if you look at all the issues that you were asking eloquently back about when we first started this conversation, they're not going away in the next six months from now. They're going to be nuanced or they're morphing to other things, but they're not disappearing anytime soon. Well, team transformation, I mean, just the word, it's going to keep transforming, isn't it? And competitive advantage, what EVP doesn't have in their own what KPI, MBOs, all the things that we could say for their objectives is to maintain and build competitive advantage. So so kind of how does it work as a think tank? 
How did these EVPs get this kind of support? So what we do is we meet because the intention is to be a group that actually fosters its own collaboration and inspiration. We actually meet twice a month for six months. So the program is a minimum of six months. And the intention is during that six months, we do what we're talking about. We learn from each other, help each other stay motivated, give each other practical solution, help each other be more accountable, really feel a support system. Because I think the one thing that I'll say from running these executive think tanks that people often say is a support system, even at my level, even while I have, for people to get in a room that don't know each other, mm-hmm. it's kind of that old adage, like you'll tell your life story to someone on a plane <laughs> that you've never met before. There you go. In a room of people that are your same level, that someone, you know, because I've, I curate the group. So, you know what, and I've been doing this work for a long time. And so I'm looking for certain attributes and ways of being that people are in order for them to actually be able to collaborate with each other. So when people get in a room, what I oftentimes find from running these groups is because there's this comfort that, oh, it's been curated. It's not like people just filled out an application, showed up and pay some money. But the fact that the group is curated by someone that has done this for a long time and has a breadth of experience and has a, has a leadership framework Oh, then we show up, I'm more willing to be vulnerable and open to share more and to ask and solicit more ideas from the group too. Mm-hmm. And and how do you help, I guess, move it beyond just executive group therapy that, you know, it's, it's good to tell my story and get it off my chest, but how do, how do we move it to some of those actionable changes we need in teams, in competition? Well, it's interesting that you say that because one thing I have found that's very commonplace I found during COVID is that leaders would say to me, Ugh, I feel like I've turned into a therapist. <laughs> and I, what I say to them oftentimes is probably the first time in your life as an executive that you're actually listening to how people feel about something. <laughs> Darn, that empathy keeps coming in. <laughs> and you're actually giving people a space to their emotions. And you have to remember something about emotions that people often forget. Emotions are a signpost to what's important to you. So unless we're able, you know, oftentimes people will say, oh, you know, sometimes if someone's expressing themselves, I find that they'll say, oh, I feel like I'm, it's a, you know, I'm just complaining, or I feel like I'm just moaning on about something. It's like, no, 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 you, you gotta get out the what's so for you in order for us to even understand what's really happening for you in order also for you to see where, for us to see where your blind spots are around it, for us to even help you to be able to question you. Because the one thing that I do during these, you know, when we're doing these sessions is that I ask people not to dive into solutions so fast. Because executives, I find everyone wants to solve something. You know, you put a bunch of executives, especially at this level in a room, all they want to do is solve something. They're like, ready. They're like, I've been solving stuff forever. But if you say to people, okay, what I want you to do is I want this person to have the hot seat, share what's important to them. And then the only thing I want the rest of you to do for a little bit is I want you to ask some great questions. What happens in the space of just 10 minutes, literally, is the space of transformation for the person that's on the speaking end, that they start realizing things they've never realized before. Then the group can start chiming in, say, hey, in my experience, here's how I've handled it. In my experience, here's what I've done. And then I could say, okay, based on what you're hearing, what is it that's gonna be different for you that then the group can hold the person accountable for? Because once you declare to a group that you're going to actually take some action, my job is to make sure that you actually do and that you're accountable to the group when we come back. Mm -hmm. That's why the frequency is so important. 
Because I find also when you're going through such amounts of change, unless someone sees some degree of change within 30 days, especially if the change is happening quickly, they'll abandon it very fast. And also you have to remember that change is exhaustible. And because neuroscience shows, and you probably know this, is that we want to operate in a front part of our brain, the executive part of our brain. And when we're hyper-triggered or stressed, we're only operating the primitive part of our brain, so we can't think. And so if the group is designed to help you consistently get out of and a reactive space and continue to be in a proactive executive brain thinking space, well, then you need a support every couple of weeks to come back and say, hey, I tried that, that stunk, that didn't work. You know, that was super successful. I didn't think it turned out the way that it did. How would we do it differently? And so it becomes a space of camaraderie, camaraderie, collaboration and inspiration too, especially in a time when work can look sometimes pretty bleak. Well, and the time and space to simply think. And you know, you reminded me, I've experienced this kind of hot seat Q&A and you're right, it does put a hold button on the problem solve part. I mean, again, I can imagine a group of executive VPs going, oh, well, you know what you ought to do. <laughs> As well, in, yeah. I, I wouldn't do it, but you know what you ought to do. And so by, by pausing a minute and just asking those questions, and maybe that does train uh, the individual, us leaders, to, to stop and ask more questions before we simply jump to the solution or the recommendation or the problem solving part. Well, also, you got to remember something, too. And I'm, you know, if I put on an executive coach hat, I don't know what's right for you mm -hmm. because I don't have your lived experience. And so I don't know what what you have to break through, what overcome, what's difficult for you. Like what's super easy for me may not be easy for you. So, for example, like having a conversation with someone that you've been putting off for a year maybe the hardest thing in the world. To me, it's like, are you kidding? We'll do it today at four o'clock. You know, so it's very it's very nuanced. And so you have to be careful. I find that as, first of all, as leaders, when we, when we work with people and individuals and teams, we have to be very careful to be very assumptive about things when it may not be so. And so even sometimes what we do in, in, in these groups is talk about, okay, well, what are the facts of the situation? Indisputable. If I put you on the stand of a court of law, what would be the facts? And sometimes facts are very few. And then say, okay, well, what, what did you make it mean? What's your interpretation of the situation? That's like five pages long of what you made it mean. And how do you, what is the impact if you continue to see it that way? Okay, well, here's what the cascading impact is. Okay, well, let's go back to your original intention. And then the person can actually start seeing things newly because they've collapsed the meaning they made. You know, what happens? How do you bring a belief to life? The moment you believe it, you know, I have a 40 million thoughts a day. I can't control that. But the moment I believe something, like I believe that you're a poor performer, you're a great performer, you can get it done, you can't get it done, you're more innovative, you're more creative, like these are all judgments based on something. But unless those ever get questioned, then nothing will ever change. Mm, so That's strange. where some of this, some of these kind of line of questioning can really help. Yes. Well, my guest is Esper, Esther Weinberg of the Ready Zone. Esther, tell us where we can find out more about this program and learn more about you and your work. It's very easy. You go to thereadyzone.com, T-H-E-R-E-A-D-Y-Z-O-N-E.com. And you can go there and also download my ebook also, which, uh, which gives you more information for everything that we're talking about today. Uh, fantastic. 
We've got another great uh, project and program that I want to talk about, turn the page a little bit, and that's your Being Me Foundation. I mean, here we are talking about leaders of today in an EVP level, but there's young leaders and young adults coming up and wanting us to be more diverse, more inclusive, and more equitable in our organizations. How does the Ready Me or Being Me Foundation help with that? Yeah, so let me go back to something just to, to give people context. So the Being Me Foundation was actually a foundation that was created by my wife and I, and it was created, it's separate from the Ready Zone, but it was created as a passion project because when you look out into the world and you see this, it's for LGBTQ young adults between the ages of 18 and 26. And what we realize is that as youth move into this adulthood of age 18 and beyond, they're moving into a place in their development where they're completing their values framework, feelings of empathy, they're moving into adult relationships, they may go to college or pursue other careers or other levels of education, set goals and start to achieve them. And so what we realized too is that, um, you know, there was, there was a author who said society is less forgiving of missteps made in your 20s. You know, in, in your teens, you can be stupid, but in your 20s, you're <laughs> like, no, you're a young adult. You can't quite do that. So what we realized is that this population of LGBTQIA youth have been oppressed. There's mental health issues, there's discrimination. Many have been violated, uh, victims of violation. And so what we are doing is creating what we call ontological leadership and coaching programs directly to address this crisis. And we want to give this youth a safe place to explore, talk, and really make a difference in their lives. And so the programs are really designed to dismantle, to look out in the world and facilitate them to be able to see the world from a space of what's possible instead of what's not possible. Because if you've been victimized through your life, it's very easy to see what's not possible versus to see what is actually possible in life. And I don't mean that in a Pollyanna way. I mean mm -hmm. that very mm -hmm. practically. That's why we're looking for partners that have um, mental health facilities within their within their organization. So this way we can provide this program in partnership with great organizations that are already providing some, some different kind of support. So this becomes a real added value for them. Mm -hmm. Well, let's underscore and drill down a little bit on this term ontological as a program, as a definition. How do you apply? What's the context there? Yeah, it's it's some of what we're talking about. I mean, what we what really an ontological distinction is one of the things that we really go to work on is dismantling what we what is called the reality illusion. It's an it's an ontological distinction. Some of the and we were talking about already as it relates to the ready zone is that what has one person look out into the world and see and believe with the same set of data completely different than someone else does. And so like these young adults have inherited certain meanings, interpretations, self-assessments based on their culture, their religion that could be out of alignment with reality, but yet they live in the reality as if it's the truth. Mm -hmm. And so the way that each person sees the world is very different. And we see it all through our own unique personal lens. And so, but what we forget as human beings is that in some cases, we never know that we see the world through our own personal unique lenses. And instead we move quickly from judgment. And so not only do we judge ourselves, but we judge others. We judge situations, opportunities, circumstances. So this kind of default habituated conditioned lenses that can serve as a disservice to us. And so 
like we talked about before with the ready zone, even performance is measured by the actions or inactions that lead to results. But oftentimes the actions that are taken don't lead to different results and could even lead to a mobilization. So that cognitive blindness, that blind spots in the way, it's not that other actions aren't present, it's based on the observer that you are, how you see the world. And from those assessments and assertions that you make, you just don't see them. So that's an ontological framework. And so that's the pro that's the basis of the programs that we're going to be implementing. So we're going to be doing a five-day program and then have personal coaching support with ontological coaches for six months. So this way, these young adults can get the framework of training. And then it's about how do they really put it in action, like what you were talking about. How do they measure it? They wouldn't even know what measurement no. is necessarily at that age. And so how do you know? And, and what? And really, I think the juice is what happens when you get stuck. Like, it's easy when things go well, right? Oh, yeah, that was successful. <laughs> but when it doesn't go, you're like, oh, that, that, that didn't work. I'll abandon that. But no, 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 that didn't work. Let's examine why and let's examine what's behind it. So that's really that's really where we're we're going to work. Well, it sounds like a, a strong approach. And there may be something, and I'll ask you quite personally, was there something in your career development or personal development in your 20s that said, I can look back and I can look at these uh, young adults and now think about the impact that a program like this could make? Because if I had this when I was in my 20s, you know, here's a difference it could have made. So when I was in my 20s, I got married at a very young age. I got married at like 22 years old. I was married by 22, divorced by 26. And I remember I was very serious about the world. And I was very serious about the world and how I saw things. And I had a very definitive point of view about everything. And I never really questioned it. And it was, you know, I, I had a very high work ethic. I came from, a, from a, a family that drove that into me. And so I don't think I ever questioned how the world is around me to a degree. I mean, I questioned all the time, but not in the way that we're talking about now. And so I took certain actions to take and I was very single-minded focused. I was very career focused and I wanted something and I was going to go after and get it, which is wonderful to a degree, unless you step all over yourself and other people in the process. <laughs> There's that little side effect. <laughs> yeah. And I often say, it's funny because even in my corporate career, I often say that I've stepped all over myself, but it had I had the benefit of this kind of development and even had the personal attention of someone like what we're talking about, I do think that my access to my own understanding and movement would have been very, very different. And it would have been faster. It would have mm -hmm. been a lot faster. Mm, very strong. Yeah. Well, we've been looking back. Now let's look forward. And again, personally, as we're moving into the new year, we're well into 2023. What kind of big pivots, big impacts and big returns are you looking for personally? What are you looking towards? You know, it's great that you brought up the Being Me Foundation because our intention is that we would have had more than one partner now that we're partnering with and we're able to reach, you know, our intention is to create this legacy of graduates that continue to give it back and pay it forward. And so on a personal level, if we can achieve that, that would be monumental for me in every single way. I mean, that would be a big pivot, big impact, big return because of everything. Because part of what I what I didn't mention earlier is we're looking to the first group, the first people that we're working with are those who have been really marginalized, you know, maybe kicked out of their homes, I, uh, you know, alienated by their parents. I've said you're gay, so forget it. You know, you're you're out. 
And so, or I've tried to rehabilitate them, you know, to be uh, heterosexual. And so these kids have, or have been abused. And so, but our intention is we're not going to turn anybody away, you know, from that age group who are in that LGBTQIA plus group. And so our intentions, we just keep going, you know, and mm-hmm. that it just it has the ability to get bigger. Well, hopefully we can help facilitate some of those connections to this program. I and just that. just in the names of your company, your programs, uh, there there's vision. You know, it's a ready zone. There's zone performance indicators. <laughs> you know, there's being me and what's what's better. I mean, we've just got to be me. It's very encouraging, very inspiring to talk to you about this. My oh, guest I, has been I, Esther Weinberg. Esther, tell us again how we can connect with you. Easily, thereadyzone.com. Fantastic. And listeners, let's continue these conversations. Keep coming back to our podcast. We're going to continue traveling the world over. We've stamped our passport in Southern California with a little bicoastal <laughs> location. Esther's also working in Austin, Texas. So we've got both of those locations covered today on our creative journey. But we're going to continue traveling the world to talk to creative practitioners about how they get inspired and how they organize their work. And most of all, as we said, making the connections to launch our work out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we've been unlocking your world of creativity. See you soon. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only $0.99. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer.